Hello, beautiful community of listeners, and welcome to another episode of Creativity Lives Here, a podcast designed to support you with tapping into your peak creative potential. Today's conversation is special to me on so many levels. For one, it's full of inspiration and wisdom and vulnerability. And in addition to that, it holds a very special place in my heart because it's with a dear childhood friend of mine, Vanessa Spiteri. One of the things that I really love about this podcast is that I get to connect with so many amazing people, people from my past and my current community and people I don't even know yet. And overall, people just doing so many cool things and expressing their creativity in so many amazing ways. So Vanessa has gone on to be a professional ballet dancer, and she has also performed in several musical theater productions. And she already has such a successful and multifaceted career behind her, which she'll share all about in today's conversation. And this past year, she's transitioned out of dancing full-time and has started her own online yoga business called Sia Yoga. Sia stands for Skill in Action, and Vanessa's mission is to share the practice of yoga with dancers, professional athletes, and people who are just avid movers in their free time. You can check out the Sia Yoga website by going to siayoga.com. Sia is spelled S-I-A. And you can also find that information in the show notes. Vanessa is just such a beautiful, vibrant, and inspiring human being. And speaking with her was just an absolute joy and treat and just really warmed my heart. And... I think you're going to enjoy listening to this conversation just as much as I enjoyed recording it. And one more thing, Vanessa has the sweetest dog who was also in the space during the time of our conversation. So every once in a while, you're going to hear some little animal noises. Have no fear. It's just Vanessa's adorable dog. Just wanted to mention that before we go into the conversation. And with that said, let's dive into this wonderful conversation with Vanessa Spiteri. <laughs> well, I grew up in a family of, of artists and movers. Um, you know, you, you probably you know remember Leia. My my parents are, are musicians and um my sister at a young age went to a um, performing arts school and went on to have a long career in musical theater. And she's now a Pilates teacher. So I guess it was always just, it felt natural to be involved in, in theater and art and dancing. Um, there was also, you know, a lot of, <laughs> you know, going with my parents to whatever gigs they had, um, and I would like hang out in the audience and then, you know, every now and again, they'd call me and my sister up on stage and we'd be asked to do, 
you know, backing vocals and harmonies. So <laughs> the performance aspect was, um, was definitely there from a young age as well. Um, so yeah, I went, I started off with dancing like most little girls do. Um, went to a, a, a lovely little studio in Zurich. Um, I think we both went there together at some point, Leia, Lucia Burgdorfer, um, Tanztheater, yeah. yeah, so really lovely memories there. And then after that, I went to the uh, Dance Academy Zurich, um, where I kind of entered into a, a pre-professional ballet program. And when I was 16, I um, auditioned for ballet schools abroad because at that time um, I would have had to drop out of high school to do the full full-time program in the ballet school in Zurich um, because they just didn't have that infrastructure yet having kind of academics and ballet training under one roof um, and that just wasn't an option for my parents which now I'm obviously very grateful for and I was lucky to get their support so auditioned for schools abroad and, and got a scholarship to attend um, Elmhurst School for Ballet in Birmingham in the UK, where I uh, then graduated with both a dance diploma and A-levels in my pocket. And um, yeah, it was also actually really nice there because the school worked together with the Birmingham Royal Ballet. So as a student, I already got to get some work experience um, performing with the company and going on tour with them. Uh, throughout the UK and even China, which is really, really fun. Um, and oh yeah, I'm going to backtrack a bit as well. So during my time when I was still in Zurich, I was also tap dancing a lot, um, kind of doing that on the side kind of secretly as well, uh, because in the dance company, <laughs> they were, I think they were always quite strict about not you know, doing other sports on the sides or not going to other dance studios you know, in case that would interfere with whatever technique we were learning. Um, and it's funny because I remember one of my buddies from the ballet school there, Adam, who um, is, is a beautiful dancer, and she's now actually performing with a really well-known contemporary dance company, Netherlands Dance Theatre. Um, at the time, she was doing karate on the side. So she kind of had that, like, <laughs> secret thing. You know, she was doing a couple of times a week next to the ballet, and I was having my secret, you know, tap dance lessons. And I think that was um, one of the things that kind of connected us. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah. So fast-forwarding again, um, uh, did my three years at Elmhurst. Um, and then when I graduated at 19, I got my first job in uh, Toulouse, France, with Ballet du Capitole where I danced for five years. Um, and yeah, I, I learned a lot there. And that's pretty much where I also kind of, you know, grew up, became a young adult. Um, and it was a really nice experience on the one hand, because, hey, I was living in the south of France, you know, life is <laughs> pretty sweet down there. And uh, also, it was just a uh, um, there were lots of, you know, really great pieces we got to dance. The company was lucky that we could get the rights to perform, um, uh, you know, very um, kind of prestigious and well-known dance repertoire. And we got really great choreographers in um, and great kind of choreographers assistants in to teach us the pieces um, because, you know, in the dance world, you know, we, now obviously with video, you do learn a lot of pieces or a lot of, a lot of pieces are kind of transmitted through video, but still I, I think that to this day, one of the best ways to actually 
you know, learn a piece and get all the details and the, the, the technique and the mood and the spirit of a piece is actually by, you know, having it taught to you either by the choreographer themselves or a dancer who has worked very closely with that choreographer. So, yeah, that was very enriching. Um, but then, um, you know, towards the end of my time there, there was a change of, of direction. And as it, you know, sometimes happens, um, they kind of want a different, or, you know, there's a different idea of the type of dancers they want. So my contract didn't get renewed. Um, and in a way it was, it was good timing because during that time that I was dancing in France, I met, um, Max, who is now my husband and he was living in Hamburg at the time. So we started off, um, long distance. And so when my contract didn't get renewed, um, it, you know, it it was kind of the next natural step to go move to be with him in Hamburg. Um, I did spend my last season there auditioning a lot throughout Europe and, but especially in Germany in that area. Um, with not really a lot of luck, it it was a bit of a tough year. Um, and so I guess, I think by the end of it, when I was ready to move to Hamburg, I was feeling a bit kind of tired, burnt out and a bit disillusioned with ballet. Um, and was just looking forward to kind of, you know, getting a change of scenery. Um, but then it just so happened that, um, my sister actually let me know that there were auditions happening in Hamburg for the musical Phantom of the Opera. Um, and, you know, she was kind of like, well, you know, it's in Hamburg, you know, go for it. And I thought, well, it's a musical. I haven't really, you know, it's, it's very different to the ballet world, but sure, I'll try. And, you know, she even helped me kind of prepare and, you know, she she helped me prepare a song for the audition and everything. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to, to get the job and I actually got a, a featured role. Um, so that was pretty sweet. So, you know, I got to move to Hamburg and still... Um, you know, kind of stay within the field, still do something I was, I was passionate about. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that transition into musical theater. Like I said just before, it's, it's kind of different to the ballet world, a different way of working, um, kind of different mentality. Uh, I think, you know, there is the stereotype of the dancers being a bit more reserved, you know, you're kind of seen and not heard. Um, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden I was, I was working in the theater where, you know, people were like, you know, you're working together with singers and obviously so before the show, you know, you're, you're passing by a bunch of people who are like screaming and doing their vocal exercises in the hallways. And it's, it's a much more like, <laughs> like vocal and loud atmosphere, um, which is great and super refreshing. Uh, and it was nice because it was also, um, in my job in Toulouse, you know, so much time was spent in the studio rehearsing and learning the pieces. And in comparison to that, um, like proportionately, we didn't actually perform all that much. We had maybe about, um, yeah, between 20 and 30 performances a year, a season. And now having this contract, in a musical in Hamburg, it was, it was seven shows a week. So it was a lot. So, you know, there was kind of a a fast track, maybe a month or two of of me learning the piece. And then it was just, you know, you basically go to work every day and and performing. Yeah. You're on stage every single day. So that was quite a different lifestyle, but a lot of fun. 
So for the next few years, when Phantom did close, um, I was doing that for about a year and a half, then I continued auditioning for musicals. And so I was moving between kind of Switzerland and Austria, uh, doing shows in, in St. Gallen, in Vienna, um, which was oh, so beautiful. I Vienna will always have a very special place in my heart. It is, um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's uh, a beautiful city and, and living there, like quality of life is fantastic. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, that was really great. And I also did um, and danced in an opera at the Bregenza Festspiele, um, which was really fun. That was a summer festival, an opera festival, and there's a stage right on the lake. Um, so that was that was pretty sweet as well. But so during that time, obviously, when I was in Hamburg, Max and I were, it was perfect. We both had our job in the same city. But after that, I was moving around a lot with these other musicals. And then Max, through his job as well, he, he, um, he started working in, in pro sports before he had opened up his own gym. And now he was working with, um, uh, you know, professional sports teams. And there's a lot of moving around there as well. So we were kind of playing this cat and this nomadic cat and mouse game of, you know, he'd move over to one city for work and I'd follow him, but then I'd get a job in another city and move away again. Um, so, you know, the majority of our marriage was actually still spent long distance. And then we finally wow. did. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, I still have many friends who can't keep track of where I am. Like we'll talk every now and again and they'll be like, so mind me, where are you living now? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, nomads. Yeah. That's, that's a good definition for us. But um, anyhow, in, in 2018, there was actually the opportunity for both of us to finally have a job in the same city again, but it was all the way across the pond in Minneapolis. Um, and we thought, you know, what the heck? It'll be an adventure. If we can move within a continent, you know, what's a move across the ocean? It's fine. We downscaled, you know, got rid of all our stuff, <laughs> kept some stuff in his, like, his mom's house, and then went over with, you know, two, two suitcases each. Um, and, but here is the thing. So my job in Minneapolis was with a ballet company again. Uh, I, I honestly don't know how I got the job. I... <laughs> Um, because, well, I, after having left Toulouse and also ha after having finished Phantom of the Opera, which, you know, I was still kind of, the dancing there was still, you know, um, within the style of classical ballet. Um, after that, I really thought I was ready to hang up the point shoes for good. I really did not think I would go back to that way of working, that lifestyle of being in a, in a dance company. Um, but I had... Anyhow, I, I, I auditioned for this company. I got the job. And the summer before starting there, I, I, you know, I noticed that I was really kind of freaking out a little bit about it. Um, but then I thought to myself, you know what? This is probably going to be, you know, one of your last dance jobs anyway. You know, they gave you the job. So just enjoy your time. Like, you don't have to prove anything to anyone. Um, you know, so I really told myself to consciously make uh, an effort to really not worry so much about what the person at the front of the room was thinking, but to more just do it for myself. Um, I think during my time back in, in Toulouse, when I didn't get my contract renewed, or like I, 
I used to, you know, bitterly say back in the day when I got fired, <laughs> I, I kind of really got, I, I, I got really hung up on that, you know, and I think I, I pretty much had the, the dancer's equivalent of, of, you know, writer's block. Um, it, it, it was, it was pretty tough. You know, my, my last um, few months in Toulouse, it kind of got to the point where whenever there was um, uh, an important person coming to watch company class, you know, choreographer or something, I would, I would just stand all the way in the back. Like I really could not, I felt like when I was um, kind of in any situation under pressure, whether that was kind of a auditioning for a part in, a, in a, an upcoming piece or going on stage, I, I really just froze. Um, yeah. And that was, that was pretty hard. And then obviously, you know, dancing and uh, performing in musical theater, it was such a different atmosphere. So I, I, you know, so I wasn't really, thinking of that anymore. I was finding my enjoyment again in, in kind of a different craft, but still performing. But then, you know, those kind of feelings of fear did kind of creep up again when I was thinking of going back to working in a ballet company. But I think, you know, they say time is a healer. <laughs> it's a bit, bit of a dramatic thing to say for my situation. You know, <laughs> nobody died, but um, still, I think having that, those few, it was like about four years away, you know, gap between um, being in a ballet company and then going back to one. Uh, I think that really helped and helped me gain a bit of perspective and insight. And uh, yeah, so to make a long story short, you know, I was like, I'm just going to go into this and I'm just going to have fun, you know, regardless of what happens, I'm just going to do it for myself and just focus on making the best out of each day and really just enjoying it. Um, I think, you know, really often, I, I, I don't know, I can't speak for other, you know, I can't speak for actors, but I can imagine that it's similar to that way. But, you know, sometimes we get so hung up on, on perfecting our craft or, you know, on getting the jobs and, you know, rejection is hard when you're auditioning a lot or when you don't get a job or when, you know, your contract doesn't get renewed. And I think sometimes we seek so much for this validation from other people as artists, because we do invest so much of ourselves into our craft, into our art. You know, it's not just a job, it's a vocation. But I think sometimes, um, it comes with the downside of us forgetting what brought us there in the first place, you know, forgetting why it is that we love our art, our craft so much, you know, and kind of forgetting about the passion. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm starting to, this is starting to get a bit long winded, but um, yeah, I think I was just, I was trying to remind myself of that and it worked. And funnily enough, I found myself there kind of dancing better than I ever had. Um, despite you know me being a bit older and my body obviously feeling a little bit more tired, <laughs> but it was a great time. It was uh, yeah, it was a smaller company. We were only about eight dancers, and then um, a handful of younger trainees. But that meant that everybody was dancing a lot. So um, you know, as a result, everybody had way more responsibility as well in the company. So you weren't just kind of like the you know third tree to the left or whatever. You know. Every was always dancing an important role and spending a lot of time on stage and it was great you know it was a lovely group of colleagues I, I really miss them a lot to this day and also you know I had a wonderful director Lisa Holton who I think um is is a really great leader and um 
uh, has just such a good way of, um, I think, you know, giving us, teaching us all the things, transmitting all the information, the skill, the technique, but then when it comes down to it, just, you know, when it's showtime, when curtain up, you know, she'll just kind of step back and just be like, you know, now this is yours, you know? Um, I, I, you know, I, I take my hands, you know, out of it. Um, this is yours now. You know, you've put in all the work. Now just, just let it happen, you know? And that was quite nice. Not feeling like you had this kind of pressure, like you had this, you know, person standing in the wings, like scrutinizing you while you were on stage, but kind of <laughs> really kind of, you know, stepping away. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't really see her, you know, <laughs> for, for the rest of the evening. And then it was just like, okay, it's up to us, you know, it's up to us to carry this thing. So that was, that was really nice. Um, yeah. And so during my time in the States, I also uh, got into working as um, a medical interpreter and a yoga instructor. And funnily enough, this, this came um, from a, kind of from a place of necessity because uh, I realized, uh, you know, working in a dance company in the States, it's not like in Europe. You don't quite have the same, mm, the same working conditions. So in Europe, when you're employed through a theater, you will get paid holidays. You know, you, you will have like a 12-month salary, basically. And in America... Um, you know, you, I, I was on a 33 week contract for a season. And that means that you only get paid for those, you know, weeks that you're actually in the studio and performing. So, um, I realized I had to find other sources of income. And when Max and I first moved to Minneapolis, we, um, were staying at an Airbnb until we found our own place and we were actually living with the hosts. It was also a couple and we made really good friends with them. They're so very close friends to this day. And um, the, the wife, Jess, um, she was working or is working as a medical interpreter. And um, I was very interested in that because I thought, um, you know, I, I had a few, you know, having grown up in Switzerland and having lived in different countries, I had a couple of, you know, languages in my back pocket. Um, I, I grew up speaking, you know, English, German, French, um, and a bit of Spanish. Um, and so I was quite interested in a job where I could kind of use these other skills that I had, you know, that wasn't just dancing um, or singing. So it was through her that I got, um, I, I managed to get a, a foot into uh, the agency where she was working. Um, I did the, um, the minimum requirement training to start off with. Um, as a medical interpreter, you have to do a minimum of like a 40-hour training. It's usually over a weekend or something where you learn the medical terminology. You learn about the, the, the interpreter's code of conduct and, and ethics. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then you get started off with a couple of jobs. Um, and so I did that on the side. That was very interesting, very different to work in the theater. And also... Um, really great because I felt like I was, you know, helping people, serving people in a more direct way. Um, so for those, just to give a bit of clarification in, in the United States, um, every federally funded hospital and clinic is required to provide interpreter services to patients with limited English. 
So this is actually quite, it hasn't been around for that long, but it's, it's a fairly young career, but it is a thing over there. So what I would do is um, the agency would, you know, send me to this clinic, that clinic, um, you know, obviously starting off, you're not going to be sent in, you know, for a, um, a surgery or birth or something that's, you know, a kind of a high pressure emergency situation, but it'll usually be, you know, routine doctor's checkups, sometimes going into old people's homes, you know, accompanying patients um, that are doing maybe occupational therapy, physiotherapy. And um, I was interpreting for Spanish and French speaking patients, um, just, you know, working as basically the the conduit of communication uh, between the patient and the provider, you know, be that the doctor, the nurse, the physiotherapist. Um, yeah, and that was really great. You know, you can you can you know you you really feel like you're helping people. You know, so often the patients are so grateful that they have someone who's helping them understand. You know, what the doctor's telling them. Um, you know, because a lot of the time it can be you know already as it is sometimes going to the doctor can be a scary enough experience, and then being in a situation where you don't understand the language just makes it all that more stressful. So um, yeah, that was. Um, that was very, very uh, uh, fulfilling um, for me. Um, really felt like it was filling my cup in a different way. And so I also worked my way towards getting the national certification in um, medical interpreting, which is something I was doing on the side next to the dancing. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> the other thing, uh, when I was in Minneapolis, um, I discovered um a great yoga studio really close to where i lived a core power yoga which actually i didn't realize it at the time but it's a big franchise they have them all over the country but um i remember the class and really enjoying it so i was going there more often and then at some point um you know a teacher who i was taking class with a lot was kind of like oh you know we have teacher training coming up soon um and i thought oh why not you know might be might be interesting just to kind of further my yoga knowledge uh, my yoga practice. I had been doing yoga for a long time. Um, and I actually got really into it when I was in France. I was um, going, you know, at least I think two or three times a week to this Hatha yoga studio in Toulouse um, with another one of my colleagues. Shout out to Julian Imps if he, if he listens to this podcast. And it's great because <laughs> he, um, he, in the meantime, uh, you know, he was also a dancer with me in the company and he retired and is actually working there as a yoga teacher now and is also an osteopath and has his praxis there in the studio. So, um, yeah, wow. yeah, <laughs> but anyhow, sorry, I backtracked again. So, you know, I, I was, um, yoga had always been actually a, a very, um, big part of my life and it was always like, um, a consistent part of my training regime as well. Um, so I was happy to find a student in Minneapolis, was super excited to get into the teacher training. And I think as happens for many people who do a yoga teacher training, um, you know, I think they'll go into it being like, oh, well, you know, I don't really see myself teaching. And then by the end of it, sometimes they're or really often, at least that, that was in my experience. I saw that with my other fellow students in the teacher training. By the end of it, you know, you're kind of like, oh, actually, <laughs> this is something I might like to do, you know, sharing this practice <laughs> with others. So, yeah, when I finished the teacher training, I was lucky enough to um, get to teach there at the home studio. I had two classes a week that I got to teach and also did quite a bit of um, subbing. So, 
yeah, there I was in Minneapolis, you know, dancing, um, working as a medical interpreter and also uh, being employed as a, as a yoga teacher at the studio at Core Power Yoga. Um, and then, you know, the, the thing happened last year, the, the virus that must not be mentioned, <laughs> as I like to call it. Um, yeah, COVID hit and unfortunately theaters went black. Um, and then uh, at the time, as you wouldn't believe it, as life would have it, um, while we were in Minneapolis, Max actually did end up leaving again because he, <laughs> oh, yeah, because work called him over to Arizona and then he was in Seattle. So when COVID hit, we actually were not living in the same city. I was in Minneapolis, he was in Seattle. And because essentially all my lines of work um, stopped from one day to the next, um, believe it or not, even the medical interpreting, because they didn't want, you know, they wanted less people going into the clinics. And um, a lot of clinics already had like remote interpreters in place. So to make a long story short, there was nothing holding me back in Minneapolis anymore. So it made sense to just go and move um, over to Seattle to be with Max. Um, uh, so yeah, when that happened, um, I... I had already planned on that being my last season dancing, um, but it just came a, a lot earlier. Um, and when I moved over to Seattle, then I thought, you know what, um, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna I, I need to like channel my energies and focus towards something so I just don't go crazy. So I thought maybe I can try to build up something myself, teaching online i saw that this was how i saw um you know fellow yoga teachers doing this now you know offering zoom classes live streams online or doing pre-filmed content so i thought you know what maybe this is something i can also try and you know if it doesn't work out at least um you know i will have gone through the experience of you know making a website and uh going through all the technical stuff and figuring it out and, you know, <laughs> dipping my toe into, you know, entrepreneurialism, if that's a word, um, entrepreneurship, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I, I basically spent the summer, um, yeah, making a website and kind of, you know, planning out, um, what I wanted it to look like. Uh, I was also doing a further teacher training. Um, I started a 500 hour training, which was online. And, uh, and then also during that time, I was also actually starting to teach a little bit yoga online for um, uh, uh, the, the soccer team in Seattle. Because at that time, Max was working as the head of performance for the FC Seattle Sounders. And during the lockdown, they were doing um, all their training, you know, from home online. So, you know, my husband Max would be doing strength and conditioning sessions with them. And on their recovery days, um, I would do a yoga session with them. So, so cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And it also made me, um, yeah, it was, it was a really great opportunity to work with athletes. Um, obviously, you know, being a dancer, it, it is very much being like an athlete, you know, <laughs> um, but it was, it was great kind of, um, getting to work with, um, athletes of a different sort, you know, and, and, um, kind of gauging like, what are their needs? Um, you know, what does, 
what does a yoga practice look like that can really serve them um, as a recovery or, you know, as something to kind of help them gain more flexibility um, and, and work as a good complement to, you know, whatever movement patterns they are having to do, you know, day in, day out. Working with them and building my website, um, my idea started to kind of uh, come into place that I wanted to um, basically offer online classes for, on the one hand, for athletes and dancers, um, you know, in lockdown, you know, finding ways of staying in shape from home. Um, and also for other people um, who, uh, whether they're avid yogis or not, um, you know, just giving people kind of a time in the day that they can carve out to do a yoga practice that will either be a good complement to whatever sport they're doing, or also just be a good um, uh, uh, way to kind of balance out all the sitting that people are doing at the moment, you know, for home office, yeah, uh, through home office. You know, now I think it's, um, you know, people, we say that people in the West have very sedentary lives and this is happening even more. Um, yeah, yeah, so true. yeah. So it's been very interesting also. Uh, and this has been a big topic in the teacher trainings as well, you know, talking about how can we seek in classes so that it really balances out all that sitting, all that, you know, being hunched over the computer, you know, um, so that's, that's been very interesting. So yeah, um, out of all of these ideas and, and, you know, you know, constructing and brainstorming, um, came the idea for my website, um, SIA Yoga, um, and SIA stands for skill in action, which is now up and running. Um, I have a couple of classes that I'm teaching a week now and have already, um, a, a growing community that I'm super grateful for. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much where I am now. Sorry, that's, that's, I felt like that was very, very long. <laughs> Feel free to edit out some of that. <laughs> you know, I, so far I've never edited out one of these stories because I just, I feel like they contain so many beautiful parts, as did your story. And one of the things that I find so striking about your story is that you, through the course of your career, you really found a way to um, because clearly you have so many different skills and interests. And it sounds like that up until now, you've really found different ways to channel all of those skills and interests into the things that you've done. And that's pretty incredible. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think being, being a dancer, or maybe I think I also just grew up with this a little bit, you know, there's, there's kind of always the, the thought that it's not something you're going to do forever. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, also a lot of people, you know, you get a lot of the questions from people like, so what are you going to do after your dancing career and whatnot? You know, and it's, it's, it can be quite daunting because, you know, while a lot of people were, you know, going to college and university and getting degrees in this and that, I was, I started working from a young age, but I, I kind of, you know, missed out on getting a, you know, kind of a training in another field. You know, I, I you know, I, I dedicated my life to dancing from a very young age and this is what I did. And so I think all along I've always tried to be very reflective of, you know, what are, what are the other things that I enjoy doing and what skills do I, what other skills do I have that I can also kind of put to use 
you know, to, to serve others and also essentially to bring bread to the table. <laughs> and I think, I think a lot of artists can probably, probably relate to that because, um, you know, as much as, as it is great, you know, to be able to actually um, live from your art, um, it's, you know, sometimes it's not something that'll always last or it's, we can't always rely on that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And um, do you see yourself ever going back to dance in some shape or form? Or do you feel like that chapter has closed for you in your life? You know, I say never say never. <laughs> I've had a Yeah, of, of course. People, I've had a couple of people ask me that. And um, I think at the moment now, it's hard to see that happening just because now it's, you know, it, it will almost have been a year since um, I've, I've been dancing, uh, you know, and by dancing, I mean dancing full time, you know, six hours a, a day in the studio instead of maybe doing a, a 30 minute bar in my kitchen. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like at this point, I, I, I'm not really sure. Possibly, you know, I really hope that soon you know, theaters will all um, come back to life and that, you know, the arts will really make a comeback. And it would probably be very nice. I'm not sure that I want to really do the whole thing of, you know, auditioning and going there where the work is because I think I also don't really want to do long distance anymore in my marriage. And, um, you know, you can't really choose where you work. But potentially for the future, you know, doing some short-term freelance stuff for sure. Um, so yeah, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> you know, it's, it's also okay for me, I think, because I've, I've been dancing for 10 years, you know, and I've, I've really been super lucky to have continuous work, you know, for, for all those 10 years. Um, so, you know, part of me is like, you know what, I've had a great run and I have, great memories and I was also able to finish it off you know in such a nice way um and yeah so I'm not really sure I I do really really feel for um all the young dancers and artists out there you know who are maybe at the start of their careers or or are you know we're about to graduate from school um yeah I mean I just feel like you know so admirable I think you know it must take so much resilience and um yeah I think uh resilience and and courage you know to be going through this time now you know being at being at at the start of your career or or you know at the end of your training so yeah my heart really goes out to them and I hope that theaters do open up which I'm sure they will and, and that being said, actually, I've, I've said this to a couple of people, I think now it's been really great to see how so many dance companies have been getting very creative now during this lockdown and how many dance companies have been bringing uh, a dance to uh, digital platforms. And I think this could actually be a very, very good thing um, for the future because, you know, especially ballet has, you know, is still considered a bit of an elitist thing. And, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of not really open to wide, wide audiences. I mean, unless it's like Nutcracker or Swan Lake, I don't think you're always going to have, you know, lots of, or a wide range of people coming to see other, um, you know, dance evenings um, in the theater, dance performances. So I think by bringing it to the internet, um, 
I also saw Netflix now has also like a four part um, series about dance. And it's what I love is that it's not just about ballet. It's like they're focusing on some different, like more niche choreographers. And I love that because it's bringing these more niche areas of dance to a wider audience. And I think that's, I think that can be a very positive thing for the art form. That actually reminds me of something that I think you wrote in your questionnaire about how, or maybe I read it in an article about you, but how you used to, in your summers off, you would go and train in different dance forms. And it actually made me laugh a little bit because it now when I was listening to you speak, it reminded me of when you were secretly training and tap dancing <laughs> and <laughs> which I love that you did that. Well, so rebellious. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I find it very beautiful that you've always had this very um, exploratory side to yourself. It sounds like where you, even though you were training to be a a professional ballet dancer you still opened yourself up to other forms of dance yeah yeah I think you know I think I really have my sister to thank for that she was always encouraging me to open my horizons and you know she was both of us are dancers but she obviously was trained in a much broader um range of styles and I think that was really great for me to see that. And, and, um, and you know, we had also sometimes worked together and collaborated um, for certain projects. And so I, I really think that is thanks to her. And yeah, it was um, those, those summers off. Uh, I, I did one summer intensive in the Netherlands with Netherlands Dance Theater and another one in Israel with Bacheva Dance Theater, which was amazing um uh, Bacheva Dance Theater is is a company um based in Tel Aviv and the director Ohad and choreographer Ohad Naharin actually created his own um technique of dance improv called Gaga and what, what's really amazing about Gaga is that they also it's not just for dancers but they actually also offer classes for like non-dancers which is wonderful like you should YouTube it once there's and they've actually been offering a lot of, you should actually do a class once. <laughs> they've been offering a lot of live streams. It's, it's so great. It's like really, um, it's all about kind of mm, tuning into the body and finding like, well, to be honest, I probably won't do it justice by describing it. Everybody should just check out Gaga. It's, it's a very fun and satisfying form of improv. Um, and I did that one summer and that was really great. It, it, it was good to both of those programs, but especially the one in Israel was a really good way to broaden my horizon and also get out of my comfort zone. Um, I went with two of my colleagues from Bali du Capitol, Julian and Ina, and that was already great that we were going as a group, you know, so you didn't kind of rock up there as the only bunhead, you know, um, yeah, typical ballet dancer. Um, but so we kind of stuck together and, uh, no, it was, it was a really great and I think transformative experience. Um, because as, or at least, you know, I think there are many schools, dance schools now that are kind of, um, focused on ballet, but they offer, you know, a lot of contemporary dance now, a lot of other dance forms, um, but I think my training was was very classical. And even dancing in Toulouse, the repertoire, it was quite versatile, quite varied, but still very much tutus and point shoes, you know, very, very classical. 
And sometimes as a dancer coming from that tradition, it can be hard to do things like improv or move in a different way. It can be challenging. And uh, like I just said before, really feels like you're coming out of your comfort zone. So that was good. Um, I'm really glad I did that. And uh, I would, and I think it also helped me for later on um, when I was working in musical theater um, because I realized, you know, even when I was doing other shows and I was having to do like, you know, different forms of dance, like jazz and more contemporary and tap and whatnot, I kind of realized, oh, this doesn't feel so foreign for me. Like, yeah, you know, obviously the, the, as a, as a, as a, as a ballet dancer, the technique is there, but sometimes it's hard to um, kind of stylistically or to get other styles and to really, um, how would I say that? Sometimes it's hard to really adopt other styles and kind of get the, <laughs> the, the groove of other styles. So yeah, that was, that was definitely very helpful. That's really cool. Yeah. I've heard of Gaga. Um but now that you spoke about it, I'm even more intrigued. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, you should. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, really fun. I did, I did a bit of that now during lockdown as well. And I found it very, very therapeutic. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Very cool. One thing I'm still really curious about um, as far as your work as a ballet dancer goes is, so obviously dancing ballet requires a very high degree of discipline and precision, um, but there's also a creative element to it. So I'm just curious, how do you find that balance and what role does creativity play in your work as a ballet dancer? Mm, that's a nice question. That's a, so I, I think this, this can be sometimes tricky in ballet because it is such um because it is such a structured form of dancing, um, you know, very often, and, and, you know, there are schools and dance companies that um, do want a very uniform look among their dancers, right? Um, so I think sometimes it can be challenging to balance out fitting into the look of a company um, while also really developing your own personality as a dancer. And there are other companies mm. that allow for that more. You know, there are other dance companies that, um, you know, want to have a very um, wide range of looks and personalities in their, um, in their group of dancers. But I think the creativity process, yeah, would definitely come from... Um, allowing your personality, that certain essence of you that nobody else has come through in your performance. Um, and also kind of showing artistry through your musicality. That is a big thing of it. And I think that for me, you know, music has always been a really big drive and inspiration for my dancing. And um, I always find it's really interesting to see, to watch other dancers and see how their musicality comes through in the dancing. And it can be something so minute, 
you know, it's maybe how they're able to, you know, as much as the steps are already given in the car, they're already set in the choreography and you do the steps, but you could watch one dancer do um, a series of steps and then watch a different dancer do the same series of steps and still see little differences in, you know, I don't know, in certain ways that they put an accent on a note of music or maybe even just an expression, a tiny tilt of the chin, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's, it's also interesting because, um, you know, also as, as a dancer, if you're not, if you're not improvising or creating your own choreography, you are essentially um, given the choreography by the person who created it. Um, and, you know, you're given a lot of details and instructions and you're given lots of information about how the choreography, the choreographer wants their steps to be performed, right? So there are all these guidelines you should follow as a dancer. But then still, there is always going to be that space for you to give your own artistry to it, your own interpretation. Mm, and that comes through the movement quality, the musicality, um, and expression, and also how you connect with the other dancers on stage. That's also, that's also for me, been something um, I've always really enjoyed playing with um, and always been also a big, big inspiration for me as well, like the, the connection with the other people on stage and how you feed off each other. In a good way. <laughs> Not like that. Yeah. <laughs> Although you were in Dance of the Vampires, oh right? Or, or Yes. Is that what it was called? Yes. Did I get that right? Yes, you got it. <laughs> that was definitely one of the most bizarre but fun jobs I ever had. It was so this is a musical. It actually flopped on Broadway, but is a huge <laughs> hit in like Germany and Austria. And it's really, it's it's basically a show about, so Roman Polanski made a movie called Dance of the Vampires, which is this hysterical, you know, vampire spoof from the seventies. And they made it into a show and the music is actually by Meatloaf and, you know, Bonnie (laughs) Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart, that like eighties song. Yeah. So that is like the theme tune in the musical, but the (laughs) lyrics are in German and it's about vampires. It's so funny. It's (laughs) But it was, it, it was a really fun show to do. Yeah, you know, funnily enough, my sister also did the show. Unfortunately, we didn't do it at the same time. But um, yeah, we had a lot of fun comparing funny, you know, on stage and backstage stories about it. You know, what can I say? You rock up to work every day. You put on a set of vampire teeth. You're wearing a lot of leather. There's a lot of fake blood. Um, the choreography is, that was actually really fun. Like the finale number was this really cool, like, old school 80s jazz um there's one number where you know you come there's like a graveyard on stage and everybody comes out of their own coffin um yeah it was it was a lot of fun (laughs) and I I worked with a really fun group of people as well and it was in Vienna which like I said before is like one of my favorite cities in the world so that was definitely a very fun time in my life (laughs) oh man I'm really bummed I missed that (laughs) Well, you know what? I 
I am pretty sure when theaters get back on their feet, Dance the, Dance of the Vampires, or as they call it in you know the German-speaking world, Tanz der Vampire, will definitely make a comeback. So, yeah. <laughs> I might just have to go watch it, although I wish I could have seen it with you in it, Vanessa. That would have been the cherry on top. <laughs> oh, it was fun. I did... I- start to develop my vampire my on-stage vampire personality yeah it was terrible for my posture though because obviously as a vampire you're <gasps> right and the choreographer also said like in a lot of the dancing we had to have this um posture where like the the shoulders were hunched forwards you know um so yeah it was it was good after that to to do two years of you know full-time you know ballet again to open out the chest so <laughs> open out the shoulder <laughs> to kind of counterbalance the vampire exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh that's wonderful so to still dig a little bit deeper i'm just curious what does your creative process really look like for you as a dancer um in other words what does it really take to get from that first rehearsal to the stage? Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a nice question. Um, so usually in my experience, both in, in, in dancing in ballet companies and in musicals, um, from day one of rehearsal up until curtain up, you know, opening night, um, you could have anything between a couple of weeks time, maybe even, two or three months to prepare for a piece. Um, Also, when I was in the ballet companies, often we'd also be rehearsing and learning different pieces at the same time that we'd then perform at different points throughout the season. Um, And yeah, you know, a lot of the time you're learning or I've, you know, I was learning existing repertoire. So I wasn't really involved in the process of creating that piece, but for me, the creative the creativity came in after you know after having learned all the steps and set them to music and received all the information from the choreographer, like about the intention of the piece or the role, the story behind it, if there was a narrative. Then, for me, the the creation or the creativity process came in um, when I would use all of that information then to try to kind of digest I would digest that information and try to make the role authentic and and feel real for me um so I'll try to give an example just so it doesn't sound so vague um I <laughs> I, I I danced a piece once it was a, a potter so me dancing with a partner um and and what it was was I I was basically um playing a, a character walking in a garden and um, the man I'm dancing with, he's invisible. I cannot see him. So at first, I'm not even aware he's he's there. And then I start, slowly start to become aware of his presence. And I'm kind of first scared and then mystified. And then it ends up being this kind of playful. There's a bit of chemistry there. And I, I can tell now that there is someone there, but I can't see him. And, you know, mystery man. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so obviously... <laughs> That, you know, the dance steps, the piece was choreographed in a way that, you know, you could tell that he was invisible. You know, I was directed never to look directly at my dance partner. There was a lot of him, you know, catching me kind of by surprise, you know, while I was mid-run or something. Um, But I would, 
I started to develop this routine before going into rehearsal or, and even before going on stage with that is I would um, do this activity where I would close my eyes. And sometimes I did this with my partner as well. And so either he, with my eyes closed, then he'd just walk around me and maybe catch me by surprise, tap me on the shoulder or nudge me, or maybe come so close that I could maybe feel his breath on my shoulder. And sometimes I'd also do this on my own and just imagine that. And then I would let myself react as, you know, a normal person would, you know, if if you felt Mm. like this invisible hand tapping you or, you know, you felt breath somewhere close by. And then I would kind of try to keep that feeling of, of that like instinct of kind of natural reactions that would happen, you know, in real life, if you were in that situation. And I would try to bring that with me into the choreography as I was doing the the dance. Um, Yeah. And I I just felt like that was kind of a a nice way of, of making it feel authentic and real and almost pedestrian in a way so that, you know, the real intention, the idea behind the piece, it, it didn't just look like a bunch of dance steps woven together and, you know, me pretending to not see my dance partner. Um, yeah. And I, I, I always try to find things like that. Um, sometimes it's just an image that I keep in mind or it's, it's words that I repeat to myself, you know, uh, before going into the dance or, or it's a memory I, I fall back on. Um, yeah, just finding ways of, of, of embodying the dance in a way that feels authentic for me, you know, and other, other dancers doing the same role might have different approaches. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that. It makes it more fun. And I also think, you know, sometimes it's difficult with dance because um, there's a fine line between, you know, doing all the steps, doing the choreography and, and still it kind of looking a bit fake though, like the intention, the story is not yeah. really coming through because it really just looks like a person just doing the dance steps. And that can also maybe sometimes be a bit corny as well. Um, so fine line between that and between really being able to, you know, master the, the dance steps, the technique, but also still um, convey the kind of that, yeah, that real life authenticity behind the intention. So, yeah, um, that is a part of my creative, creative process. Um, I've obviously also been lucky enough to be part of the process of creating a piece. And that's always been a lot of fun. And it definitely feels more collaborative. Um, really often a choreographer will come into the studio with a bunch of steps ready and an idea. But the exciting thing is always that, you know, seeing those steps in my body for the first time, that's the first time that, you know, those ideas of the choreography, the choreographer is, is taking shape. Um, yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and also really often, you know, they'll have maybe more vague ideas and they're, they don't really know what those ideas will really look like, how you can, um, turn those into physical movement. So that's, that's always pretty interesting. You know, there've been many instances where, um, you know, maybe again, coming back to an example of partnering, the choreographer will be like, Oh, I, you know, can you do an overhead lift? And I want it to look like maybe a bird trying to break free. And then you tried a bunch of things, you know, and the choreographer will be like, Oh, maybe, you know, try it a bit higher up or less energetic, you know, or more to the left. And, and then there'll be that one moment, you know, where they'll be like, Oh yes, that exactly. Keep that. 
And then, Mm. but then you're always going to want to hope that you remember what it was that you did in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So then it's, it's always like, you're kind of like pretend that, you know, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that. And then you just hope that when you do it again, that it really is the thing that the choreographer wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's another aspect of it. And, uh, it just occurred to me now that I actually, I'm, I'm just talking about rehearsal, but, um, a really important day, uh, a part of the day is um, a company class, the ballet class that you take with the company first thing in the morning when you get into work. And I always consider that time, I mean, obviously it serves as a warm up. You know, you prepare your body, your mind for the day ahead and for the rehearsals and performances. Um, it's an opportunity to, to obviously work on the technique, the dance technique, hone your craft. But I also kind of look at it as the laboratory. Um, you know, class is the time that you can kind of try out new things, take risks. You know, if, if there's any time in the process that you can afford to like go too far and fall on your ass, it's during class. <laughs> I love yeah. that. And then maybe during rehearsal as well. And then you're kind of one going to hope that, you know, you've, you've tried it out enough and you figured it out enough that it's not going to happen on stage. Although, believe me, I've had plenty of falls on stage. And, you know, luckily, the, you know, it was only my ego that was hurt and, you know, or my pride. Mm. And uh, luckily, no, not sustained any um, injuries through that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I, I'm, I'm digressing. Uh, so, yeah, I like to use class for kind of workshopping things for myself. Um, or, you know, it's an opportunity to kind of work on maybe the more technically challenging things that I'm, um, rehearsing. Um, and I also like to use class to work on, um, the stylistic requirements of the piece that I'm rehearsing or performing. So to give another example, if maybe I'm, I'm rehearsing, um, uh, uh, maybe a 19th century romantic ballet, then during that period, I will in class, you know, try to work on holding my arms in that style, you know, working on that kind of very characteristic way of inclining the head that, you know, is, is you know, an important or detail of that style. Try to, you know, I'll try to move in a quality that's more ethereal, more, more almost... Um, um, kind of fluid and, and, and very delicate. If, if maybe I'm going through a period where we're rehearsing a, a more neoclassical contemporary piece that's more dynamic, more powerful, then maybe I'll play around with more, uh, you know, I'll emphasize syncopation and the musicality, or I'll try to really extend my lines or, or, or allow myself to go more, you know, um, off balance, which is something that comes up in that piece. Um, yeah. So let's see. That's the creative process in preparing physically for the role and artistically. But then like another really big component of the preparation, the process of preparing for performance is um, also building the the mental resilience and the focus. Um, as, as I mentioned before, um, you know, I've, I've always struggled a lot with performing under pressure. And um, 
I think, you know, throughout the first half of my career, unfortunately, I've, I've done myself a big disservice by really allowing myself to, um, to feel under, allowing myself to feel under pressure, even if that wasn't really the case and um, really getting uh, such, such stage fright that um, it would sometimes be unfortunately a very dissatisfying experience. I'd find myself, um, you know, kind of just freezing, uh, kind of having an out of body experience when I was on stage and, you know, I'd come off stage and realize, you know, I, I wasn't really present. I don't really remember what was happening out there. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I really felt it in my bones that I didn't really perform to the best of my abilities. So, um, yeah, I, I, I started to kind of figure out ways of how I could deal with that. And, um, I, I soon developed a habit of, um, asking myself two questions every day before going into rehearsal, before going on stage, you know, so afterwards in hindsight, and these two questions would be number one, am I doing my personal best? And so not, am I the best person on stage? Am I the best person in the room? But no, am I doing my personal best? Um, and so always evaluating if I am, you know, performing to the best of, of or if I'm reaching my f- personal full potential, both physically, both in my technique, and also most importantly, you know, am I, am I focusing on really developing my own personal qualities um, instead of, you know, maybe wasting my time and energy trying to kind of fit into a, a cookie cutter form or trying to be like other people. Because I think that's essentially it, right? The creativity process for everyone, whether you're an artist or someone maybe building a business or, or just creating something of their own. I think it's, it's, it's all about, having a craft or an outlet to really show your authentic self. Because I think we're all most successful when we can really truly be ourselves and, and really allow that essence of ourselves shine through. I think that's when, you know, as an artist, you're really going to be able to, to, to move people to make an impact. I think also probably as a, as an entrepreneur, as, as someone creating a, a brand or building a product as well, you know, um, I think you can be most successful when you really are able to recognize and connect to what is important to you, what is authentic to you, and then bring that out in your craft, in your creative process. So that, that's the first question I asked myself. And then the second question I always ask myself was, Am I or was I able to um, connect to the joy in what I'm doing? Uh, Very, very important, I think, because, you know, I mean, as a dancer, it's 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 pretty grueling. Um, You know, it's been now like almost one year since I've been dancing full time. And sometimes I think back. You know, when I'm spending my afternoons like on my couch and I'm like, goodness, crazy <laughs> to think that a year ago at this time of the day, I was like jumping around. I would be into like hour six of a, you know, of a super long day jumping around nonstop. Um, so what I'm trying to say is basically it's, it's a lot of work, you know, you sacrifice so much, you put in so much work. So it's only really worth it if, if you're 
enjoying it, right? It, you know, I could have had a way more physically comfortable life and I could have gone and studied, you know, something that would have also earned me more money, you know, and yet I chose this path. Why? Because, you know, I realized from a young age that I love it. You know, I, I, I couldn't live. I had to, <laughs> you know, I knew that in my bones that this is something I had to do. Um, you know, and it's easy to kind of lose sight of that. I think a lot of, for a lot of people, right. It's easy to lose sight of, of why it is we love doing what we do. Um, and so I always try to remind myself to have fun with what I'm doing, you know, and a big part of that was also not taking myself too seriously, you know, um, being able to (laughs) make fun of myself as well. See the funny and the fun, the funny and the fun, my everyday um, work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I, I, uh, I think again, uh, you know, if, if we're able to come from that space of joy and always connect to that, then we can also be more successful, you know, and, and all the little hurdles, the difficult things, the dramas that happen, I think we can see it more in perspective then. Yeah. And I think also, uh, for me, a big part of connecting to that joy was also, um, you know, really being able to connect to my colleagues, you know, on stage in Mm. rehearsal. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much what the process looks like. And, uh, you know, I've taken some of that with me now in the process, in my creative process now working as a teacher, I think my laboratory is not the dance studio anymore. Um, but it's, it's my daily practice in the mornings. You know, when I, when I get up early, I I use that time to try out things in my body, see if my sequences make sense. Um, also feedback is so important, you know, as, as a dancer, we would always get notes post rehearsal and performance notes that would help us, you know, up our game. And I think now as a yoga teacher, I, I rely, I love to get feedback, not just from my mentors, but from my students. You know, I, I after class, um, you know, now even over Zoom, I give them the option. I say, either you can stay in Shavasana, you're happy to, you know, log out of the Zoom call. If you want, you know, um, I'm going to give you a chance to, a chance to connect to, to, uh, to also offer f- constructive feedback. You know, did this class feel right for you? Was it good? You know, or did it, did it kind of give you what you needed, you know, based on what space, physical and mental space you were, you were in today. Um, Cause I think we can learn so much by that through constructive feedback. Yeah. Everything you're sharing is just so beautiful. And um, I just think so many people are going to benefit from this, whether they're, you know, interested in dance or not. Um, But I also still want to speak a little bit more about your work with yoga now, because I find that so incredible as well. And um, I was looking at your website, which is really beautiful, by the way. Thank you. You would not believe how long I spend working working on that website. (laughs) Right there with you, girl. I'm right now, even though my website is up, I'm still working on creating certain pages. And yeah, it's, it's crazy how long it takes, especially I think if, if one is someone like you who's so up on her feet normally, yeah. I can imagine that sitting in front of a computer putting together this website must have been an interesting experience. Sure. You. I mean, you know, I mean, that's the amazing thing nowadays that now on the internet, there's like so many 
you know, like 10 years ago, you know, we, we probably, you and I, we probably would have had to pay someone like a web designer to make our website for us. Right. And it's amazing that nowadays there's so many websites like, you know, like Wix and Kartra and I don't know, you know, what you use, but you know, where you can actually build this stuff yourself, which is fantastic. But I'm a very technically challenged person. Like I am not so good with computers and everything and ask Max. I basically spent like many hours this summer on the couch yelling at the computer. Um, <laughs> like, I don't understand. Why is it? Why can't I set up automated emails and <laughs> automated emails? And, yeah, anyhow. But um, yes, thank you. Thank you for, um, yeah, I need to check out your website. I haven't, I checked out your Instagram, but I need to look at your website. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, please do. Um, yeah, and I guess one thing I was thinking about as I was looking at your work with yoga is what what was it about yoga when you first discovered it, which was in Toulouse, you said, yes, right? exactly. What was it that kind of felt magical to you beyond the, you know, the phys- very mm. obvious physical benefits? Yeah. What was it about it that really inspired you to then take it further and now you're sharing it with others? That's a really nice question. Um, I think what was um, so valuable about turning up um, or showing up at that yoga studio, you know, those three times a week was that, you know, each time uh, I was walking into a room where, um, you know, it had nothing to do with performance or competition. You know, you, you, you'd walk into this, you know, dimly lit room, you'd set down your mat and, you know, you, it's just, you spend this hour just tuning in, um, you know, bringing your awareness to the breath. And it's really just a space where you can really turn your um, attention inward and, just, you know, check in with yourself, you know, an opportunity to see like, what is my physical and mental state today? And also allowing yourself to be okay with where you're at in that, you know, on that given day. I think that was mm, such a great balance to the, you know, the high performance um, environment of, of working in a ballet company. Um, and it also, you know, really kind of provided me with the tools to kind of remain, um, you know, calm and grounded, even though, you know, obviously I had, <laughs> I, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, you know, I had definitely a challenging time during my last season in Toulouse, but I think years down the line, um, these tools have really helped me stay grounded and deal with things like stress, um, you know, high pressure situations, and also help me, you know, I think, see the bigger picture of things, not lose perspective. You know, there's, there, there's more to life than just dance. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's, we're all a part of something bigger. You know, I think we all, we all see that in a way, but sometimes we can forget, um, we can forget that when we get so, um, you know, when we get so involved with our own, with our own lives and the own, th- the, you know, the things that we're doing for work. Yeah. And I think it's just beautiful that as someone who um, has gone through this professional dance career, I feel like 
as a yoga teacher now, you just have so much to offer, especially to other athletes and dancers, but also um, I think to just anybody who wants to be more in touch with their body. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely what I what I hope what I'm trying to do in my teaching. Um, you know, with with, with um, Sia Yoga, Skill in Action Yoga, I think one of my biggest intentions is not necessarily to teach my students how to do all the asanas, how to do the headstands, you know, it's not even necessarily to help them gain more strength and flexibility. I think first and foremost, um, I think I want to like share or, or help people find a sense of like deep connection and enjoy in movement. Um, you know, as a dancer, I think we take it for granted as dancers, how connected we are with our bodies. You know, movement is something that comes so naturally to us. And we also spend so much time working with our body as our toolkit and exploring, you know, and having fun with it. And, you know, there are many people, it's just not a part of their lifestyle, you know, or there are certain things holding them back from from finding that connection to their body and I think if as a yoga teacher I can help people find that you know whether you're a beginner yogi who you know is fairly new to like um, who, who does not consider themselves athletic in any way or maybe a more advanced yoga student or even if you're an athlete you know who's so used to pushing yourself to the limits if I can if I can provide a space for people where they can know where they know that they can just take this time to take a step back, slow down and just check in, turn their attention inwards and really tune in to the sensations, the physical and mental sensations that arise, you know, as they spend this hour on the mat, then yeah, that's, that's, that's all I think I, I really want to achieve because I think by being able to check in with yourself, that is what is going to help you, um, I think, make smarter choices for yourself on the mat and in everyday life, in your sports practice, in your dance practice. And that is also what is going to help you respond more skillfully. Um, that, that's a, a big reason why I decided to call my, my company, my website, um, Sia Yoga Skill in Action Yoga. Um, skill in action is actually one of the many definitions um, of yoga that exist out there in, in, in a very really yeah yeah in um, so uh, there is a, a you might have heard of it the Bhagavad Gita it's a it's an ancient prolific yogic text and actually in it um, um, uh, the, one of the gods Krishna actually says to the protagonist of, of the story he says yoga is skill in action. And I feel like that definition really resonates with me. Yeah. Because of, you know, all the, all, all that I said before, I feel like yoga helps us. It just gives us the tool to navigate this, you know, crazy life with, with more skill. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I mean, I've been practicing yoga for a little over 10 years myself and it's just become such a, non-negotiable for me even if I just spend 10 minutes every morning checking in in that way yeah I feel like it makes such a difference throughout my day it's really quite striking yeah oh that's wonderful and I also think it's so great that you also acknowledge that even 10 minutes is fine you know like yes. I also think so I mean obviously it's great to have you know a full hour but 
you know, I, I also think, and this is why I've been also, you know, thinking about maybe offering even shorter classes. I've been doing some half hour Instagram live yoga classes on and off. Oh, awesome. Um, But I also, but I also offer live streams, but I've been thinking of doing shorter classes as well because of the fact that, you know, I think it's hard, you know, if you're doing home office and you maybe have kids at home and everything like, um, I think it can be hard to like carve out that time, you know, to, 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 you know, be in a room and, and get to do your full yoga practice. And I'm immensely grateful to my students. And I think it's, and I thank them every time I say, thank you for taking the time for yourselves, you know, this hour to do some yoga for yourselves with everything else that's happening now. And I also acknowledge that people have zoom fatigue. Right. And I, I think it's, Mm. it's, so it's hard, you know, because on the one hand, I think, you know, even if it's still over zoom, I think it's still going to be great and important for people to still take that time, um, doing some form of, of mindful movement. Um, but still, you know, I, I, I also acknowledge and, 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 you know, vocalize that to my students. I know that it's, it's really great that they're still taking the time, um, for a yoga practice. And anyhow, I think it's great, you know, even 10 minutes, I think is, is enough, you know, just even me sometimes, you know, there are days that I don't, I don't do a full hour. Sometimes I also just do 15 minutes, half an hour where I play around, you know, experiment with different things. Like, Oh, what am I going to do for tonight's class? You know, <laughs> how does this feel? And, um, but yeah, I like that. I like that. doesn't have to be long, but if it's, if it, if it becomes a part of your daily routine, um, yeah. I think that's also when you start to to see how it helps, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately just developing a practice of showing up, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, and I also say to my students, I uh, encourage them and I, I, I trust them to make smart choices for their practice. So, you know, there will be students that, you know, just want to have a vigorous practice. They want to burn off some energy and I will let them, you know, kind of lean into um, the effort and challenge themselves all the while maintaining the integrity of the postures and the movement. But also, you know, I always offer modifications. Um, that's what I like about doing live stream as opposed to doing pre-filmed content, because I feel like it can still connect to the students and see the bodies in front of me and be like, Oh, you know what? I can see you're struggling with this, you know, grab a block, try this, put your hands on the couch. I like to offer you know, different options, different levels for my students. And I trust that based on what their physical mental form is for that day, that they will make the smart choices for themselves, you know, and that way I, I hope to help them feel empowered, you know, to make the right choices in their practice. And then hopefully also off the mat. And I also say to my students, you know, even, even if you just spend this entire hour on your back or in extended child's pose, that is still yoga, you know, even if you're not moving and just tuning into the breath, you're still showing up for yourself. Hmm. So this information is going to be in the show notes, but if the listeners are interested in taking yoga class from you, where can they learn more about what you're doing? Um, so you can go to my website, www.siayoga.com. Um, and you can also check out my Instagram. My Instagram handle is Sia Yo, so S-I-A-Y-O dot G-A. 
So we're nearing the end of our conversation. Dokey. Um, <laughs> even though I could just, I mean, as you were speaking this entire time, I just had so many questions popping into my head and I've been writing them down on my phone, but I'm looking at the time now and I'm like, okay, of course, <laughs> got to find a way to wrap this up. <laughs> um, but I, I, I definitely still want to do the quick fire round with you. So yes. are Let's you ready? The fuego, the fuego round. Yay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite creativity inspiring snack? Okay. Well, so people who've worked with me in the theater, they will definitely have seen me eat this um, frozen banana with nut butter and a lot of nut butter. I eat. Uh, Max and I go through insane amounts of peanut butter. It is. Yeah. A bit disconcerting. I, I pray that I will never develop an <laughs> allergy because I think I'm a bit addicted. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I have the same thing with almond butter and cashew butter. Yeah. Both are good. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, like a significant amount of my grocery budget goes towards buying yeah. those things. <laughs> All the nut butter. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And you're right. The combination with banana is really awesome. And frozen banana is great. Very important though. You're going to want to peel huh. the banana before you put it in the freezer. <laughs> it's hard to cut through well, yeah, banana skin. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know what? Recently, I learned that apparently you can eat the banana skin. Like frozen or not frozen? I think, I mean, both. I don't think it matters. I tried it. I have to say, <laughs> not a fan, <laughs> but... If you, <laughs> but if you blend it in with like a smoothie or you put it in like finely chopped into a curry or something, it's okay. You know what, Leia? I feel like this is something we would have done when we were kids. I feel like we were up to all sorts of shenanigans when we grew up together. Like we did some crazy totally. stuff. And I could totally see us. <laughs> Apparently you can eat banana skins and us like, you know, I don't know, boiling them up or chopping them or eating them with our spinach plats. <laughs> you remember? Yes. <laughs> yes, totally. For the listeners, um, spinach plats are like these spinach patty things you can buy in Switzerland. <laughs> They're homework snacks. <laughs> yes, so true. And you know, it's so funny that you say all this because I'm actually my little makeshift recording studio looks out over... The rocks that we used to play on. The rocks. That's why it's so special having this conversation with you. It's just, yeah, wow. It's so cool to have a childhood friend and then just to see how they've blossomed throughout their life. It's it's quite moving, actually. Okay, next question. When is your peak creative time? In the morning, afternoon, evening, or at night? So now I would say morning. Obviously, when I was performing, you know, it was always in the evenings. And that's essentially yeah. when I was being creative, or at least trying to be. But it's <laughs> definitely the mornings. I mean, I think I've always been a morning person. Um, and now, especially during COVID, I've gotten to this very, uh, I, I say like it's an old person routine where I actually go to bed fairly early and, and get up really early. Um, and so, yeah, usually I do my yoga and workout routine very early in the morning. And then after that, I'll um, kind of sit down and like plan out content or um, 
like Instagram or, or blog content for my website, or also then um, plan out um, sequences for my classes. And that's pretty much all in the AM. So yeah, morning it is. Chocolate or coffee? Ooh, coffee, actually. Yeah. Chocolate or nut butter? Oh, nut butter, nut butter. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, you know, it's not that I don't like chocolate, but, you know, unless you're getting it from Switzerland, like, I'm, it's terrible. I'm such a chocolate snob. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to eat it unless you know, it's really good stuff. Rightly so. And honestly, chocolate that's not good quality, I don't even enjoy it. Yeah, neither do I. It's a thing. <laughs> what kind of music stirs your creativity? Oof, Leia, this is a hard question. I think it really depends. <laughs> really? You're so musical. <laughs> like I can't. But maybe that's why it's hard. <laughs> it really depends on my mood. I mean, yeah. I love listening to, I don't know, it depends. Like one of my favorite artists is Laura Marling. She's like a folk, she's a, a British singer-songwriter. Um, her music is oh wow, folk, rock. She's oh, amazing. And I love, actually, when I was teaching at Core Power in Minneapolis, it was cool because we, we actually had to, had to play music for our classes. So she was on a lot of my yoga playlists. Um, I actually don't teach with music now online because I always get concerned that it kind of um, interferes with the sound, you know, and that people might not be able to hear me. But um, that being said, mm-hmm. I was thinking of actually um, putting a link to my Spotify, my website, so people could access my yoga playlist. But anyhow, I'm going off topic here. Laura Marling, I always, it's just chicken soup for the soul to listen to her. But sometimes mm. I also want something a bit more funky, you know? Um, or, I mean, I don't know, there's there's a great artist I discovered recently called um, Thundercat, who, <laughs> yeah, it's like his music is a bit all over the place, It's cool, but I, he definitely is some sort of a jazz musician that's kind of like funk and hip hop, R and B. Sometimes I just want to listen to some nice, you know, old school jazz really depends what mood I'm in. Yeah. There is a great radio channel and you can listen to it online. It's called Radio Fip. And I discovered it when I was in France. I used to have to go to the laundromat every week because I lived in like a box basically of an apartment that had no washing machine and I remember there they would play Radio Fip and you can listen to it uh, I said I sorry I'm repeating myself it's it's available online and it's great it has the most eclectic mix of music and I love to just have that on in the background you know and one song will be like some obscure like rock song and then the next one will be like a Brazilian you know bossa nova uh, a tune. Um, so yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I'm totally an eclectic person too. And I love discovering new cool songs. So that sounds amazing. I'm going to check that out. (laughs) Final question. What feeds your creative soul? Other people being inspired by other people. I think that's always, been a huge driving force for me you know looking at being inspired by what other people are creating and how other people work you know dancing I 
I've always had my role models, you know, when I, I mean, obviously when you're in school, you have your, you know, your favorite dancers. And then when I had my first job in Toulouse, you know, there were, you know, a couple of, 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 you know, soloists or senior dancers in the company. And I was even lucky enough that, you know, they were, you know, some of them took me under their wing and mentored me a little bit. Um, And then as I got older, I think always just, you know, you always work with people who you admire, you know, for how they work, their artistry, or there's something special. And that's always been huge inspiration for me. Um, And also, you know, just having like, when I was doing the vampires show, I, I made a really great friend, Martina, and she was someone who just, no matter what, she always knew to crack a joke and make people laugh. And that like inspired me to just be like, you know what? Like also like I shouldn't take myself so serious all the time, you know? And, and then also like starting my job in Minneapolis, a big part of it was also just like allowing myself to like be silly and like see the funny side of things, you know? Um, which also helped me see perspective again. You know, at the end of the day, it's only ballet. Nobody's going to die, you know? <laughs> so I think, yeah, just people I've been so fortunate to meet on my path throughout my life. Um, you know, that, that's been my inspiration. Mm-hmm.